0: Hi, I'm Alessa Pindak, Mind Body Green's Chief Content Officer. Today I'm excited to welcome Elisa Vitti to the Mind Body Green podcast. Twenty years ago, Elisa was at Johns Hopkins planning to become an OBGYN when she found her hormones were completely out of whack. Acne was popping up in places it never had before, she was gaining weight quickly, and her periods had disappeared entirely. For six years she searched for an answer, consulting doctor after doctor, until a passage in a medical journal revealed to her that she'd likely had PCOS. Her gynecologist confirmed it, and from there, Elisa embarked on a two-year journey of trial and error to heal her symptoms, starting with blood sugar stabilization. In 2013, she published the book Woman Code to help other women get their hormones in check, regulate their periods, and improve their lives. She's now transforming women's health every day through her online health center, Flow Living. Elisa, welcome. Always happy to be here. Before we dive in and we talk all about periods and hormones and all the questions that we have, I would love it if you can start by telling us a little bit about how you got into this to begin with. What happened at Johns Hopkins that changed right. the course of your life? 20
1: years ago, what happened to me? I was
0: you know, at Hopkins fully planning to become
1: an OBGYN, and I had a, a sort of breakdown with my hormones, and I was seeking medical attention. And really had been doing so since I had been 16 because there were things that were problematic even in my mid-teenage years, but no one offered me any sort of input. They just sort of kind of said, oh, you know, it's supposed to be irregular for a Mm -hmm. while and, you know, it'll sort itself out, which didn't really feel like a... Clinical answer, but (laughs) I had nothing else to base anything on. So, but symptoms had kind of reached a critical point, you know, in my early, I guess, late teens, early 20s. And I had gained all this weight really out of nowhere. My skin was just erupting in acne, different kinds of acne, different places on my skin, my chest, my back. My periods had completely disappeared. And I was dealing with a lot of, you know, mood destabilization i was really anxious and depressed and i couldn't sleep at night and it was really i wasn't able to kind of thrive and function in my day-to-day life mm-hmm. in a way that you're su- you're supposed to be able to expect out of yourself as a young person you know it was a struggle to get out of bed in the morning it was a struggle to, to have energy and do things and mm-hmm. and then i just didn't feel good most of the day so i went to my gynecologist uh down in Baltimore and you know she really also had no answers for me so i just said this is ridiculous I, there's got to be some there's got to be something for me there's got to be some information some help and so i was just since i couldn't sleep i would park myself in the library and research medical journals Mm -hmm. You know, out of desperation, maybe someone had some little article that would help me. And lo and behold, I found one on the original name for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is Stein-Leventhal disorder. And I, in just reading this very small little book, piece of information on it, you know, really check the boxes internally of like, yep, this is me. And I can't believe that it's been like seven years and no one's diagnosed me with this. Wow, so oh,
0: that's so interesting that 20 years ago, nobody was talking about PCOS. I just think that's such a now a common phrase that people know and people understand.
1: It's true. But, you know, back then, I think, you know, it was just less, there was less information being circulated at such volume, you know? Yeah pre-internet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I took this journal to my doctor, and I said, I'm certain that this is what I have. You know, what kind of testing can we do? And, you know, she was very gracious, and we did some testing, and she confirmed my diagnosis. Hmm. You know, so and she thought that was really clever of, of me. <laughs> and I said, so now what? You know, this is great. We have a diagnosis. Now we can put a plan together. And she said, I'm really sorry to say we don't have anything for you. And that was... That was not good to hear. She said, we can't fix you. What's wrong with you is unfixable. And it's just going to get worse. You're going to gain more weight. You're going to develop, you know, sort of side effects of androgenization with hair loss where you don't want it and hair growth where you don't want it. And um, there'll be, you know, you'll probably not be able to get pregnant naturally or even potentially with ART, assisted reproductive tech like IVF. Um, we'll have to put you on medication. You'll have greater risk for diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, and we'll just have to medicate you. You know,' we'll, there's mood, drugs we can put you on for your anxiety, for your depression. We'll just like find the right cocktail of drugs for you. And I just for really, like that was a heavy, you know, conversation yeah. in that moment, and I just really checked in with my body and I said, that's not for me. That mm-hmm. that doesn't feel right. There's got to be a better way, and I uh, really just again for my own personal benefit began looking into what could be done. I was I, mm-hmm. I, I I started working with and apprenticing with different uh, natural you know healers like acupuncturists and naturopaths, and tried all sorts of things, and really began studying. Um, Again, this was before functional medicine was a thing. So just really looked into um, as many different avenues as I could with traditional Chinese medicine and also was looking at the emerging field of epigenetics and looking at, you know, how do we use nutrition to manipulate, you know, functions of the body. And that really was the key for me is like, oh, we can actually use food Mm -hmm. to improve my insulin response we can use food to come to improve my estrogen metabolism i can use food to do xyz to support these functions in my body so why don't i just put myself to work around figuring out a protocol that would help me and so that's that's how you know, I started recovering from PCOS. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty remarkable. Once I um, sort of narrowed in on the right process, you know, the weight melted and you off. And just kept
0: on trying and trying. And yeah, it
1: was about two years of trial and error with different ex- mm-hmm. food experiments and mm-hmm. other experiments. I mean, the first set of things, of course, was I didn't want to try to figure this out on my own. So I really gave myself over to other experts who could just tell me what to do. And, you know, we had all sorts of interesting experiments. One naturopath had me doing this carrot juice thing. That was all I was allowed to have for breakfast with like super greens in it. And I, you know, was so dedicated that I literally turned orange. My skin turned orange. <laughs> I didn't see it because it was slowly building day by day. But my best friend at the time, you know, she caught a glimpse of me in a way she hadn't seen in the sunlight. And she said, "Oh my God, you've 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 changed color. You've <laughs> got to stop this carrot juice." thing. And meanwhile, none of my symptoms got better for that first year. Of really trying all these other mm-hmm. elimination diets or expensive supplement rounds, and mm-hmm. it wasn't going to the root cause. It was it was still mm-hmm. just kind of throwing a lot of things at the wall to seeing what was going to stick. And mm-hmm. and so I decided to really take it into my own hands at that point and really methodically do, you know, my own type of food experimentation until I could see um, one type of hormonal result at a time. Mm-hmm. So really first focusing on blood sugar stability and really nailing that and anchoring in the body because it's a key – not only a key – problem for PCOS, but it's a key driver of success for the endocrine system's function as a whole. So that was sort of my first thing is how do I get my blood sugar to be stable all day every day and what does that mean from a food and lifestyle point of view? And then I moved on to the next piece and the next piece and then watched my body really come back to homeostasis you know so signs of that were the weight loss effortlessly signs of that was the skin clearing up without retin-a or accutane or antibiotics Mm -hmm. Um, my mood coming back to normal me just being clear-headed and not foggy and tired Um, and just you know and then of course ovulating and getting my period back I mean you have to keep in mind for that whole decade from 12 to 22 I got my period maybe five times and then to just get it back you know, was such a gift.
0: Wow. It's pretty remarkable how you stayed so steadfast and you kept on going and going and going despite not seeing progress for a full year. And then you finally started to see those changes. And it seems like out of this and a lot of other things came your first book, Woman Code. And I know that that's one of these books that Women read and then have to share with their friends and they need to pass it around and they need to talk to everybody they meet about it because it contains so much essential information that I think women feel like they should have had all along. And why did no one ever teach this to me? And why did I not understand the way that my cycle works? And even if you're not dealing with complicated um, issues like PCOS, still just understanding what your period means, what your cycle means, what Signals your body is sending to you all the time. I think that now we know about the fifth vital sign being your period. And that was a conversation that people really weren't having when Women Code first came out, but now is becoming more common, maybe not quite mainstream yet, but definitely a much bigger part of the conversation. Um, Why do you think it's taken off?
1: I mean, I think it's a combination of, um, like you said, the book's been—you know—I published *Woman Code* back in 2013, and I think that the readership has just grown exponentially for that book. And and that word of mouth—you know—women do really gift it to their friends and say, "You've got to, you've got to see what's in here because it changed my perspective, and I know you need this perspective shift." So I think that's been helping. Um, to shift the conversation, I think that social media and millennial women in particular are just such drivers of like change for good in such a beautiful way because mm-hmm. they're just they've stripped away the taboo of sharing so much of their lives in a public forum, and that includes their lives around their their period and you know in relation to their their menstruation. So that, you know, that kind of watershed moment that we had with Kiran Gandhi running the marathon in Mm -hmm. London without any, you know, sanitary products, Mm -hmm. um, I think was so really a sign of the times of, you know, this sort of millennial kind of, uh, you know, upswell on social media to say, we're going to, this is our life. We're going to talk about it. Why is this any different than sharing what I ate for breakfast? Right. You know, or my latest workout of the week, or whatever I'm interested in. This is what's happening in my life now, and I want to share about it without having any shame attached to it or judgment made about it. And I think that is just such a historical shift in the cultural narrative that has been really powerful, and I hope continues to move forward.
0: So let's talk about some of the information in Woman Code. You say that by truly understanding your cycle and your hormones, you can optimize your energy, you can improve your mood, you can do better at work, even you can have better personal relationships. The list goes on and on and speaks to many of the things that you personally experienced. Can you briefly walk us through what the phases of our cycle are and what happens during each phase?
1: I mean, it's a, it's. I think I'm so passionate about it because I live so long without a cycle and I really, really understand, you know, how deep the impact is on your life when your hormones are out of balance. So, you know, your hormones govern a lot of things. They impact every function of the body and your cycle is one piece of that. And you can look at the phases of the cycle as a way to kind of map out some of the impact that it's having, let's say, on your brain chemistry, your metabolism. But essentially, you know, you have your follicular phase, which is the, the week essentially right after you're done bleeding. You have the ovulatory phase, which a lot of us know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the luteal phase, which is the longest phase of the cycle, 10 to 12 days leading up to the start of your bleed. And then you have the bleeding phase. And that varies for people from anywhere from four to seven days. So these are the phases, and as you move through these phases, the hormonal patterns are distinct. You have a distinct ratio of estrogen and progesterone as as well as luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone, and testosterone Mm -hmm. in each of these four phases. And so it's just important to recognize that if you're having symptoms, for example, let's say you break out during ovulation, well, that's an indication that you're not metabolizing the surge of estrogen as effectively at that time mm. as you could be. Mm-hmm. And how do you get your body to metabolize estrogen more efficiently? Will you change the foods that you're eating? Mm-hmm. And so I was able to really map out a, a clear path um, for the foods that you should be eating in each phase. Um, you know, your metabolism in, is impacted. You know, you have one sort of metabolic set point in the first half of your cycle versus the second half and so your workouts have to change everything has to sort of change as in relation to your changing hormones and we don't think that way you know we think i should be the same every day mm-hmm. meanwhile back on the level of your biochemistry you're a different person right each phase of the cycle so we should behave so let's just and do go through the phases really quickly yeah. i
0: know you've literally written a book about this so we could talk about this all day sure. but um just really briefly tell us what those phases are if there's one top food you should be eating or one thing you should be paying attention to one sure. thing that really affects your mood or there's so many things just <laughs> i'll try to do that so in the
1: follicular phase you know like i said that's when you're resetting uh, hormones are beginning to rise estrogen uh specifically is beginning to rise in the follicular phase. I really like to focus in on fermented foods at this time just to help re establish good gut balance for all the work that your body has to do with estrogen uh, throughout the rest of the cycle. In the ovulatory phase, I really love women to focus in on raw foods. This is the only time of the month actually where eating raw is appropriate um, for the body. So, you know, as much as you can handle raw fruits Why? and vegetables. What vegetable? does the raw food do? It supercharges the body with selenium, glutathione, vitamin C, food that um, gets stored and immediately used by the liver in the phases of detoxification to help expedite estrogen metabolism during this extreme surge of estrogen that happens in a really short window of time that, you know, since so many of us are dealing with um, endocrine disruptive, exogenous estrogen in terms of chemical exposure, that coupled with, that's like your baseline excess estrogen, then you've got this surge. This is often why women feel not their best during ovulation, when in fact Mm -hmm. that surge of estrogen should make you feel really good. And instead, often now women are feeling, there's actually a really important study that came out about last week showing that one in two women now uh, are dealing with hormonal imbalances this is like an unprecedented number. Um, before we had these sort of piecemeal statistics about oh one in eight women were dealing with PCOS, one in 10 endometriosis, one in eight couples infertility. But we this is an aggregate number that now half of the female population has a hormonal imbalance of some flavor. And that's really- Honestly,
0: it's shocking, but it's not. Also When not, you think right? about your life and you think about the people that you know in your life, like That seems about right. (laughs) Well,
1: and I mean, let's think about the environment that we're in. You know, it's uh, a more chemical-heavy environment. Our food, at least in the United States, is, you know, they've smartly banned chemicals in agricultural production in other countries, but here they're still happening. And, you know, it's expensive and difficult to navigate those choices, but they make a big impact on the endocrine system. So you have a lot of, you have more endocrine disruptive things coming at you, Uh, more frequently than ever before in recorded history. Mm -hmm. So it's, of course, impacting your body's ability to produce these beautiful, hormonally balanced four phases of your cycle. So women will experience symptoms, especially in luteal phase, right, which is everybody's favorite, right, the PMS phase. This is when estrogen, just to get back to this phase conversation, this is when estrogen and progesterone should be rising in concentration to both thicken the lining of the uterus and hold it in place. And when conception doesn't happen, the concentrations of estrogen and progesterone decrease to signal to the body that it's okay to, to shed the lining. However, if you have too much estrogen in relationship to the production of progesterone, And I'll talk about why a lot of women now are not making enough progesterone even in their younger years. You then have a scenario in which you will have PMS. And that's important to to distinguish because oftentimes we just assume PMS is part of the deal. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, it's the week before my period. I'm going to feel terrible. We throw the week away. We assume that these symptoms are things we should suffer with. Right. That
0: is based Just on our, go and buy some chocolate and get into bed.
1: Yeah, go ahead. There you go. But that's based on our lack of education, right? We're not taught any of this information about how our body should work and what to do if they if we have too many inputs that are disrupting our hormonal function. That's why I wrote Woman Code. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I needed this roadmap I'm sure everybody else does too mm-hmm. of you know what what is what is normal for the body how does it work and how, what's my role in supporting the function of my endocrine system because especially today with the endocrine disruptive world we live in yeah. you do have to be really active yes your grandmother's generation your great grandmother's generation they didn't have to worry about this not to the extent that we do it's true they kind of could take their cycle for granted. Now, that's not to say that they weren't suffering with period problems, (laughs) but not on the scale that we are as Mm -hmm. a culture now. And we cannot, we are not in a position now with the research and the data that we're seeing emerge in terms of health trends with women and their hormones and their fertility. We can't just assume it's going to take care of itself, that the Mm -hmm. body will maintain healthy endocrine function on its own. You do have to learn how to participate in that process. And that's, you know, what what we teach, right? right? So, you know, the luteal phase, uh, why Why are so many w- women dealing with PMS now? What, why is this like this ubiquitous problem? Well, in addition to all the endocrine disruptive chemicals that we're exposed to, we're also living a lifestyle that is far more stressful mm-hmm. in subtle, constant ways, right? So it's like there is an actual adrenaline rush produ- on purpose produced by being on your mobile device, mm-hmm. looking at games or social media, like they they want you to be hooked and it's an adrenaline hook, right? Mm-hmm. And then whenever you produce adrenaline, what is the other hormone that needs to be produced, right? Cortisol. <laughs> and cortisol, all hormones are are manufactured from like the mother hormone pregnant alone, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are constantly draining the pregnenolone supply and focusing it on producing cortisol, you over time then don't get to have enough progesterone because there's only so much pregnenolone to spread around. Right. And so you fall short of progesterone. In addition, that's just stress, right? Then you're like running around commuting, you're drinking coffee on an empty stomach, uh, things of that nature, skipping meals, being busy, living your life in mm-hmm. your 20s and 30s. I mean, the stress goes up, progesterone goes down, PMS goes through the roof in terms of symptoms. So you might mm-hmm. start with one PMS symptom at 25, but by 35, you've got six. And you just think, oh, I'm just, you know, it's just, I have to deal with it. But no, it's really, there's so much you can do to get around that. And food is the answer. You know, food <laughs> is the answer for sure.
0: This is all so interesting. And yet I think even in the health and wellness world, there's a lack of Information. There's a lack of education around this um, as, about women and their bodies. I'm curious about why you think that that's happening in America, why you think that we're not taught more about this, both about our cycles and paying attention to it, but then also all of these hormones that are governing everything that we do every day and are affecting our lives from the time that we start having our periods and all the way through. I, I'm so thrilled that you asked that question, actually, because I— for
1: example, I think it's really special and and rare that, you know, Mind Body Green for example, includes this conversation in the wellness dialogue because you're right, it is so left out, you know? There's something, I don't know, there's still a vestigial remnant of the taboo, perhaps around dealing with menstruation or perhaps people feel at wellness events that they don't want to narrow focus too much on this particular subject. I'm not, you know, that feels a little subjective, but it is more the exception, you know. Um, There are many, I mean, you can just look around. There are many, many conferences that are had that don't have a conversation about hormones, women's mm-hmm. hormones, and, and their, their their cycles, their symptoms, and how it affects their mental health or um, their immune health or any, any aspect of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, their fitness, you know, there's just no connection of the dots. It's always kept as this separate compartmentalized like special thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other piece of it too <clears throat> is why don't we have the education? You know, that's really, if I can be direct about it it's kind of a remnant of or a factor or piece, or a tool of our patriarchal environment you know where how do you really find a way to kind of have half the population not be in a in a constant state where they can thrive all the time well you make sure that there's no intergenerational transmission of knowledge right so Every generation, you know, I think back to the 60s when Jane Fonda and Gloria Steinem were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed, for example. There was a huge groundswell. This is when Our Bodies, Ourselves was written, mm-hmm, for example. Mm-hmm. There was a huge movement for women's wellness and education, you know, because, of course, these brilliant women in the 60s identified that there was this also this problem, too. It, you know, it kind of got sidelined, which is fine. We It would be nice if we had equal rights in the Constitution. That would have been so great if that had passed. Um... And then, you know, Dr. Northrup in the 80s with Women's Bodies, Women's mm-hmm. Wisdoms, tried to bring this up to the forefront again as well. And I think every generation, right? Oprah went through her perimenopause on national television. Every generation, it seems like um, someone tries to take some thought leadership and reintroduce the subject to people for the first time mm-hmm. because there's no lineage of education. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at something as simple as like, I don't know U.S. history. We all know the the same story, right? We all can reference back the same critical educational components and say, "Oh yeah, we know what Washington did and whatever the stuff is, right?" Mm-hmm. But we don't know that. We don't have that same lineage or you know universal reference point when it comes to our health and what we need to do to take care of ourselves. And not knowing how to do that puts us at a great disadvantage, not only when we're making critical healthcare decisions, but also how we just end up navigating our lives as a whole. Mm-hmm. Again, having lived through it, um, you really, it, not having your hormones functioning the way that they should really puts you behind the eight ball, not just in your health, but in your life.
0: Let's talk about birth control for a minute. OK, <laughs> let's. <laughs> Can you understand your cycle while you're on birth control? Can any of the things that you've talked about, all these different phases of your cycle, do those exist if you're on hormonal, hormonal birth
1: control? Sadly, no. Um, you know, hormonal birth control, um, you know, when it was first introduced, as we all know, didn't have a placebo week. So you would just take your pills and you would never bleed. And the the test group of women really balked at this and had deep, con- they were very concerned. And mm-hmm. so for a um, positioning decision was made to put in a placebo week, so women could have a breakthrough bleed and still feel like they were having some connection to having, you know, a cycle. Right. But you are in no way having any cyclical fluctuation of your hormones. You are not having a follicular phase. You are not ovulating. You are not having a luteal phase, and you're not having a menstrual phase set of hormonal. Uh, so you're patterns, missing out on the, the fifth whole final sign. Yeah.
0: So. In that sense, if you want to be clued into this, if you want to have that information, um, what do you recommend? What do you think is the ideal birth control? Is there one? Does that exist right now? I actually want to just add one thing about
1: why that's so important that women reconsider um, reestablishing their ovulation. So for example, every time you ovulate, you're putting currency in the health bank account for your postmenopausal years right when you are no longer ovulating every ovulation strengthens you cardiovascularly bone density wise and is neuroprotective right so so every ovulation protects your brain your heart and your bones these are things you want to have happening for 30 or 40 years Mm-hmm. minus whatever pregnancies you have and breastfeeding episodes, so that when you stop ovulating for the latter third of your life, you have had all of that accumulated protective ovulatory benefit, none of which you have um, whilst on birth control. So to answer your question about which what is the right kind of birth control, I actually think now is a great time to use a hybrid version of both Uh, any of these amazing tracking devices that are available to track basal body temperature. um, You can do that in the morning with um, various apps. You can wear, there are wearables to really help you really understand where you are in your cycle, uh, specifically around fertility and ovulation. Mm -hmm. And then on those few days where you could be at risk for becoming pregnant, which is only five to six days, depending on your ovulation and when sperm is introduced into the vagina, it's only five or six days where you could become pregnant, right? And any person, any woman who's trying that to get pregnant. not what they
0: teach us in high school. No,
1: it's not what they teach you. They say it could happen at any time. And so those days that you know could be those days. You also use a double barrier method, one for the cervix and one for the penis, right? Mm-hmm. So that you have something that just in case the condom is not functioning properly, you have a cervical cap on or you have a sponge in place so that that's that opening is also kind of more closed, right? And so that there's no potential chance. And then, if you're super concerned, you know, for those few days, you might just abstain. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know, for women, and for who for whom is this appropriate, right? I think um, definitely, if you're one of the fifty percent of the population who are struggling with a hormonal imbalance, this is your this is a real, like forward option that you might really need to consider. If you're someone who doesn't have hormonal imbalances and you're not so, you know, keyed up about having your cyclical, you know, phases and those changes happen and you want to be on birth control, synthetic birth control, that should be something that you can do for periods of time as long as you also you know, put other inputs in to offset the negative physical effects of being on synthetic birth control, like the massive micronutrient depletion and gut disruption that takes place. Um, If you supplement properly and keep your diet, you know, you can safely be on that medication for periods of time, short stretches of time. Um, But for the other half of the population, for women like myself who have a condition this is not, you don't want to take this medication because it really depletes the very things in your system that your endocrine system needs to try to even have a chance at reestablishing homeostasis
0: and hormone balance. About how long does it take for women to reestablish a hormone balance after having been on hormonal, hormonal birth control?
1: It really depends always on how long you've been on it and how Unmanaged, the dietary part was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you'd been on it for a year, but you were already somebody who was really super into wellness and you were taking your adaptogens and, you know, your vitamins <laughs> and, you know, drinking green juice and being super healthy, um, then it could be something that is, uh, you know, a, a three to six month process of reestablishing... Your cycle, mm-hmm. but if you you know if you've been on it for ten years, you have a hormonal imbalance. You drink a lot of coffee in that ten-year period. You didn't take any supplements. Your eating was you know just so-so. Um, it could take it could take quite a while. You know we talk a lot about synthetic birth control syndrome and how that can linger for years if you don't really get on top of managing the recovery. Um, sort of the rehabilitation after being on synthetic birth control. And
0: what does that look like? What does the rehabilitation look like? I mean, it's like heavy,
1: heavy micronutrient support, Mm -hmm. you know. So there are key micronutrients I've at least identified that the endocrine system absolutely has to have in order to just do its day-to-day function. And this really helps so much when trying to recover from exposure to this medication. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about it. It's funny. We have that association like, oh, yeah, if I took an antibiotic... I'm going to take a probiotic. Like, that's mainstream thinking. Yeah, But we don't have that association at all with birth control. We don't think of it as a medication in a way. We think of it as um, a tool, right. a pregnancy prevention tool. But it is a serious medication that affects your brain chemistry, your gut balance, your micronutrient levels, your metabolism.
0: And while you are on that birth control, what do you recommend for women that are on it for that period of time, whatever amount of time it is? What are the what are the tools, What are the you know, What are the big things that they should be looking at? One hundred percent, you need to be
1: taking a B, a B complex. You need to take a probiotic that actually makes it to the gut. You know, it has to be specially enterically coated to get into your intestinal tract. Um, you absolutely want to do omega-3s as much as possible to offset the potential increased risk for depression. That is very real. Um, mood destabilization is an undiscussed major universal problem that women have when they get on birth control, but they just kind of chalk it up to, oh, it must be me. They think it's in their head, but no, it's in the pill <laughs> you know, or the product. I also recommend vitamin D3. Um, as well. And uh, magnesium, of course. I'm trying to think if there's another big one that I can... Oh, yes. And of course, um, things that really help support the liver. So extra vitamin C, some alpha, alpha lipoic acid, um, vitamin E, things that are really going to help the liver uh, process that medication out of your system each and every day, mm-hmm. You know, t- which also diverts its energy
0: away from doing other jobs that it's trying to do for you as well. Let's talk about another side of the birth control conversation. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about libido. So many women are struggling with low libido, with feeling like, why am I not in the mood? I used to want sex all the time, and now I just don't. I'm just exhausted, and I'm not interested. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? How much of that has to do with all the other conversation that we're having here about our hormones, I imagine? Everything, right? You know, certainly, if you've been on the pill,
1: little fun side effect is it will um, alter your sex hormone binding globulin and that will decrease your sex drive. And sometimes that's temporary and sometimes that's permanent. That's not a discussed side effect. I think if more women knew that that was a potential risk that they were taking by taking that medication, they might think about it might mm-hmm. think about it twice. Um, so there's that. Um, I think that uh, the conversation we had about low-grade chronic stressors mm-hmm. and uh, endocrine disruptors are absolutely a part of this conversation around decreased libido. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact of the matter is your sex drive and desire and uh Sexual response is actually supposed to intensify as you age as a woman, which Hmm. is the inverse of what happens to males. Their sex drive and response declines, um, you know, as they begin andropause, right? Um, And actually, this research says it starts to wane at 25, whereas we start to just really take off at 25, right? So if you're in your 30s and you're kind of wondering what's going on, you know, you have to look, audit your period, right? Where are you having the most symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're all supposed to get two really dramatic natural surges in desire in two different parts of our cycle, ovulation and the first half of the luteal phase. And why, of course, is because that increases the likelihood that you'll have sex during the time where you're most fertile. But if you're not feeling those surges, then now we're talking about there's a clear hormonal problem that's happening mm-hmm. at those parts of your cycle, and then you have to backtrack into why is that happening. Are you skipping meals? Are you overly relying on caffeine? Are mm-hmm. you overly stressed? What what are the inputs that is creating this imbalanced output? Right. And then if you want to change the sex drive output, you'd have to start changing your inputs, and yes, you can use adaptogens, you can use herbs, you can use uh, supplements to help, but the endocrine system responds really quickly to some of these, you know to food as medicine, as opposed to these more subtle adaptogens you know adaptogens and herbs and micronutrients always work more efficiently in an internal ecosystem where the food is dialed in Mm -hmm. so you know also be looking at what you're eating are you having too many refined carbohydrates too much processed fats and you know things that are you know not a plant forward diet it's going to impact your sex drive
0: let's talk about fertility the infertility rates are rising we know and when you talk about how 50% of the population is dealing with a hormone imbalance i imagine those two are correlated what do you make of the rising infertility rates i think
1: it's uh, i think it's a crisis you know i think that we are Challenged in so many different directions with our fertility these days. You know, um, like I said, chemical disruption, endocrine disruption from chemical exposure, um, pesticides in our food, stress in our daily lives that really impacts just this deep core functioning of our endocrine system and our hormonal outputs. And then that coupled with uh, us as a population tending to have children later um, makes this you know a challenging situation I think the other key thing in this conversation is that we grow up thinking that there's nothing that there's no action we should take when something's wrong with our period and really the time to start thinking about your fertility is as soon as you have a period problem whether that be 16 20 25 30 whenever your period starts to become symptomatic you should immediately think that then also you're having a, in, an, a fertility problem simultaneously. Whether or not you're trying to conceive, period symptoms equal decreased fertility. Mm-hmm. That's an important con- immediate connection one should have. And so, of course, you know when I heard at 20 that I would not likely um, get pregnant, mm-hmm. that made sense. I wasn't having a cycle. There was no ovulation. There right. was no... Period. There was mm-hmm. nothing happening. It, of course, mm-hmm. made a lot of sense. But let's say you're having your period every month, but it's super heavy, or mm-hmm. right? you have clots, it's really heavy and crampy. Mm-hmm. You just walk around thinking, well, you know, it's the curse. <laughs> my mom had it bad, my grandma had it bad, you know, this is just what it is. That's not what it is. That's not your destiny. That's excess estrogen. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can change that. Excess estrogen means that you may have a decreased likelihood of, of maintaining a pregnancy because you're not having enough progesterone, mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. Progesterone
1: is what would maintain a pregnancy in the first and second and third trimester, right? So um, it's so important uh, to really immediately start to think about if I am having a period problem that immediately ties into my future fertility, and I need to take action today, not let me go on some sort of synthetic birth control and then think about it when once I find the person and then we want to get pregnant. That Then you've run out of a critical decade sometimes mm-hmm. of, of uh, recovery time. And of all the ingredients that we talk about in terms of hormonal healing, uh, one that I've recently started really... Isolating and calling out in a way that I haven't before is the factor of time. The more time you give the body to recover, the better your outcome will be in terms of your fertility, your overall health. I mm-hmm. mean, now there's research being conducted into the links between hormonal imbalances and alzheimer's and dementia and you know there's so many pervasive health benefits um like we said this is your period is your fifth vital sign mm-hmm. but not just for the short term but also for the long term so the longer you give yourself to to get better the the less problems you're going to run into whether that be getting pregnant or anything else for that matter and on the flip side of that timing conversation is the sooner you start you know th- like don't don't just kind of think oh well I'm 16 or i'm 18 or i'm 22 it'll It'll resolve itself. You know, I'd love to have more moms of their teenage daughters be thinking, wow, she's 13 or 14 and she's exhibiting a lot of symptoms around her period. What can I change in the way that I'm feeding her Mm -hmm. at home while she's still at home to have her see now that she can change her period by changing her food? What Mm -hmm. a gift to give your teenage daughter, right? Instead of having her, like we all have, had to wait 10 or 20 years to bump into yet another obstacle with her health and then figure it out, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. on her own. Um, I think moms, you know, going through perimenopause, for example, with teenage daughters can yeah. be a huge <laughs> ally in recognizing like, yeah, we we have to get in on this together. We have to change our diet. We have to change our inputs. And we can change our hormonal
0: destiny. So absolutely paying attention to if anything's off with your period and making sure that you make an immediate change is one way to ensure future fertility. But if you know that this might be something you want down the line, you're definitely not there yet, are there other things that women should be doing?
1: Well, in terms of preserving your fertility for the long haul, I mean, keep in mind the reason why the pill was introduced a couple of generations back was because women were having their 6th, their 7th, or 8th or child well into their 40s. Right? And it was really problematic for women. So this was an an important medical advance for women in terms of family planning. Mm -hmm. And that being said, nature has designed women to be maximally fertile for the maximal amount of time. So historically, we were thinking about you know fertility windows extending into the mid to late forties. Now Mm -hmm. the conversation is much more truncated. Women are having fertility challenges in their early 30s, even before the official start of perimenopause, which is 35. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really, again, going back to the same thing. You know, it's funny. We all think that there should be these, like, different things that we do. And one of the things I always like to talk about is and what's so effective about the flow protocol is we just do this one thing around supporting the endocrine system. And then the body does what it's supposed to do, right, Mm -hmm. which is preserve your fertility for the longest amount of time, which is to keep your body healthy and your hormones balanced. You're not going to be actively balancing your hormones. You're going to be supporting your endocrine function. Very different. And once Mm -hmm. you do that, it's a simple practice that has multiple yield, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You don't have to just try to troubleshoot each little thing. Now, there absolutely are conversations you can have about preserving your eggs freezing them and doing that kind of stuff there are hormonal you know inputs that you have to take in in terms of synthetic hormone injections Mm -hmm. some women are more um able to do that than others I, i i speak on panels all the time about you know this conversation around egg freezing and whatnot and you know the feedback from the audience always is it's a great idea but when i'm most fertile i'm in lower cash flow to go ahead and do these things, right? <laughs> right? So then, of course, then the conversation turns in my direction, which is, well, what can we do to preserve it? And it's just take care of your period. Mm-hmm. And then your period will take care of your fertility. Right? <laughs> so just just focus on the
0: basics. And then what about for women that are trying to conceive right now and are having trouble? What are the first? What are the? Th- I know that there's a long protocol that you'd probably recommend, but what are the three things you would recommend that women look into right away or the three steps that they should take? I would say um, 100% eliminate any known
1: endocrine disruptor you can get your hands on, you know, in your home, in your diet. Um,
0: We've been talking about that a lot. Can you just outline some of them?
1: Sure. Anything that you can't pronounce on the back of a label that is in a cleaning product or a makeup product. Um, I I haven't actually looked at this, but there was just a big media explosion about asbestos being found in cosmetics. I I mean, I'm still like in disbelief. I'm saying that like it's a question, but, you know, oh, my goodness. So you have to really go green like it's your job in every single product that you use, Uh, your hair care, your skin care, your shower stuff, your cleaning stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then foods, you know, going organic is critical for the trying to conceive um, window. Then, you know, I would say... Uh, replenish micronutrients uh, in an aggressive manner. So uh, oftentimes people say take a prenatal. But mm-hmm. if you've experienced period um, disruption historically and you know you've had a stressful period of time where you've been, again, burning the candle at both ends, drinking a lot of coffee, staying up late, or having a lot of stress, something's been going on at work or family, mm-hmm. just a prenatal with the fish oil is not enough. You may, ha- I, you know, in fact, we recommend that you more therapeutic doses of this of you know b vitamins and magnesium and omega-3s up until the point where you try to conceive mm-hmm. and is that moment where you've tried whether or not you know you're pregnant you switch over to your prenatal trifecta of a prenatal an omega-3 and a probiotic but leading up to that moment for as many months as you can give yourself You know, therapeutic doses of a lot of different micronutrients is really, really helpful. And then from an egg quality point of view, I would say you would want to consider both you and your partner adding in um, 600 milligrams of coenzyme Q10 a day for three months before you want to try to conceive because that's about the average time that it takes for sperm and eggs to form in the body before Mm -hmm. they're released. So, and there's great clinical research on that particular micronutrient improving egg quality.
0: Interesting. On the other side of things, I think that there is not a lot of information around what happens to your body and your hormones post baby. There's a lot of conversation around leading up to it. There's a lot of conversation about even during pregnancy. But then once that baby comes out, it's kind of like All, All right, about the baby. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. And women are left a little bit to their own devices unless they're having some kind of um, depression or if there's a more clinical issue going on. But that normal ebb and flow that's keeping women in a high state of. Um, emotion and f- feeling really off, I think, for quite a long time after giving birth is not really talked about. Can you speak to that a little bit, I on would, what you recommend I for women at that stage? I would love to, you know, having also lived through this recently, too, um, <laughs> as I was, in fact,
1: able to get pregnant naturally at advanced maternal age. It's <laughs> another whole conversation. Um, you know, the postpartum period is one that is a massive uh, hormonal you know, re-regulation. And uh, in fact, there is, I, and I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but she gave a TED Talk where she coined the phrase mattress sense. In fact, we go out of our way to point out that during puberty, there are major structural changes that happen in the teenage brain that are pretty dramatic. This researcher and in her TED Talk reveals that actually, in fact, the changes that take place during pregnancy, delivery, and postpartum in a woman are even more dramatic than those happening in puberty, which is hard to conceptualize (laughs) because those are so universally appreciated as being pretty significant. Mm -hmm. And she coined the term matricense, like pubescence, Mm -hmm. but for the female brain changes. And so you are literally a new person, right? Things smell different. Your hearing is better. Like mm-hmm. really fun little cognitive changes, um, but then also your hormones are like majorly downregulating from pregnancy in the in the fourth trimester. That initial three months after you give birth, and then if you're breastfeeding, you know estrogen is suppressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, you may or may not start ovulating again. For a while, and and so there is so much that changes, and we don't get any education. Just like we get no education about what to do with our periods, we also get no education about how to recover mm-hmm. from a pregnancy properly. And you know, we actually just—I just wrote a blog for the for the site about how to how to really navigate this postpartum time. And I always look at it as another set of three trimesters that you need to consider. Mm -hmm. So you have your fourth trimester where, you know, there's a lot of great books and references on, you know, specific foods to eat, but you want to think of yourself as being in like this extended menstrual phase. In fact, you spend a couple of weeks after you give birth still having like a period, right? Mm -hmm. And you've recently lost a lot of, you know, nutrients and whatnot, you know, not only 3D printing a tiny human, but also going through the experience of labor, which is like a running an Olympics, you know, sport of some sort. <laughs> and, you know, you need to think about that those three months as just deep replenishment. So, you know, for example, when I was going through it, I did not touch a juice or a raw food for three months. It was like deeply nourishing, nutrient dense, cooked foods, lots of proteins, lots of fats mm-hmm. to help my brain chemistry adjusts Mm -hmm. to the downshift in estrogen, which can feel really dramatic for people, right? Estrogen is that feel-good, social, uplifting hormone. Right, And when that starts to dip dramatically, you can feel anxious, depressed, moody, right? And this is like reminiscent of the days leading right up to your bleed, right? Mm -hmm. You can feel more irritable. That can be like exponentially more amplified in the initial postpartum phase because it's happening so rapidly. So you can actually soften the impact of that by modifying what you're eating because Mm -hmm. what are hormones made from? They're synthesized from amino acids and they're stabilized in a lipid molecule. So you need proteins and fats to help you deal with the fact that you're not making as many hormones, right? Mm -hmm. And your brain to adjust to that. Then when you get into the fifth trimester, right? So that month's four five and six you can start introducing more of a normal diet right mm-hmm. and then in the third in the third postpartum trimester months seven eight and nine you can uh ideally at this point you'll have reestablished your period whether you're breastfeeding or not you'll see a cycle and ovulation come back and then you can move back into cycle-based eating so there's a particular mm-hmm. way to go about each phase, working out is a whole you know, thing we break down as well, right. and supplements that you can take in each. So there's a lot to do, there's a lot to do in the postpartum period to really set yourself up for success in just recovering from the hormones, but also um, really pr- protecting and preventing hormonal imbalance from
0: lingering or developing in the future. We recently did a perimenopause week on Mind Body Green because we felt like this is a phase of hormones that women aren't really talking about, that we're, we were calling it the next frontier of hormone health. Just as women have optimized their cycles now, I think that it's time that they're really going to start paying attention to perimenopause and what happens with their hormones then and how to optimize that. And um, I'm curious about what you think about where we are with knowledge and awareness about perimenopause and what you would recommend that every woman who's starting into perimenopause, which as you said earlier, starts at 35, um, should be paying attention to and should be thinking about.
1: So I always talk about perimenopause as having two stages. Stage one is 35 to 45, and stage two is 45 to 55. And you have um, a very slow roll in an ideal situation, 35 to 45, of the slight increase in follicular stimulating hormone because the whole process of perimenopause is such that you slowly, slowly, over the course of anywhere from, depending on your genetic predisposition, 10 to 20 years, You slowly increase the production of FSH to the level concentration where you stop ovulation, Mm -hmm. right? That is the whole purpose. And by the way, puberty is the reverse of that, right? Where (laughs) Where FSH levels drop to the point where ovulation begins. So. The fact that it takes a long time is actually really to your advantage because the slower and more gentle that transition happens in the gland in your brain, the pituitary gland, Mm -hmm. the less symptomatic you're going to feel. So in stage one, 35 to 45, you should still have relatively regular cycles, not any new symptoms, Mm -hmm. right? Stage two, 45 to 55, this is the ramping up and the completion of the process. So this is where you should start to see skipping cycles, in more intensity. So you might skip one once a month, every other month. And then you might skip two months in a row, three months in a row. The whole point is to get to the place where you skip an entire year and then you are considered postmenopausal, mm-hmm. right? And you only know that you're postmenopausal a year <laughs> after menopause. Menopause is right. the word that refers to your very last bleed. Menarche is the word that refers to your very first bleed. Mm-hmm. We also have a lot of um, imprecision with how we reference these things. We're like, People say, "Oh, they're in menopause." I'm like, "So where are you? Pre-menopause or You're postmenopausal? You're having your last bleed right now? Right? We don't <laughs> even know how to reference it. So you're right. There's a lot of uh, a lot to learn, and mm-hmm. um, I think it's uh, the same reason we don't we don't know about perimenopause is, is the same reason we don't know about our periods. It's all the same, you know. We, we just don't. We're not talking about it enough. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to to say. I mean, there's always so much to say, but I would say. Um, it's really important to, to think about perimenopause as a natural, healthy process mm-hmm. that does not need to be medicated. <laughs> because the conversation that you'll have in a conventional setting is, well, we'll just put you on birth control till you're about 50, when then we'll take you off right and put you on other things other other bioidentical hormones or oral synthetic hormones that can help deal with the symptoms right mm-hmm. that's the completely wrong way to think about it you don't want to medicate this process you want to allow this process to happen and support it Mm -hmm. So in the first stage of perimenopause, you know, you really want to continue to eat cyclically, work out cyclically, do all the things that, you know, really support your hormonal balance. Mm -hmm. And anytime you see a symptom crop up, immediately address it. The more you can keep your hormones happy in stage one, the easier stage two will be. So that instead of having the stereotypical perimenopause experience of like, daily occurrences of (laughs) hot flashes and epic night sweats and changing clothes and sheets and running makeup right? and vaginal dryness and mood swings and weight gain and adult onset acne and all these things that we don't want. Instead, the second stage of perimenopause can be one where you adjust to your new body, right? Mm -hmm. Where you increase strength training to protect your bone density and increase lean muscle mass as Mm -hmm. opposed to maybe the more cardio-focused workouts that you had done in your younger years, you want to shift to your new body. You want to shift your eating, right? Mm -hmm. Your metabolism is going to shift. You don't need as many calories. You can start doing more with intermittent fasting. As you Mm. unwind from the cycle, you can change how you interact with your nourishment and your fitness. Mm -hmm. And just learning how to adjust to that is an important thing for you to do, and you minimize symptoms. And then in the second stage, you can also really start to engage a lot of adaptogens um, and herbs to help offset any of the symptoms that you have. But really, hot flashes and mood swings can really be addressed with a couple of well-researched herbs, lots of fish oil, magnesium. It's not a big deal. It's nothing to be afraid of. (laughs) And I think because we don't get that information, it just seems scary, mysterious, and like, well, just you know, give me whatever the meds are so I don't have to go through the sweats. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, it's such a lovely process it doesn't have to be i've worked with so many clients over the years (laughs) to help them navigate through perimenopause it can be a really easy process Mm -hmm. you know where you still feel great your sex drive increases you look good you feel your you feel great Mm -hmm. um it's just a it's just yet another hormonal inflection point across your lifespan and you have seven of them so it's just another one to know how to navigate
0: You've been talking about this for a long time. This has probably been more on the forefront of your mind than most people for many years. What do you think about where we are right now and where do you think that we're going to be in 10 years with the way that we're talking about periods, with the way that we're talking about hormones, with the way we're talking about women and our cycles and all of this? I mean, it's never been a better time.
1: You know, I think uh, historically this is the most open that the conversation has been the most positive. Like I said earlier, the the shame and the taboo has really been something that's been actively put away, and I think that's really amazing. I think also the rise of femtech companies that have really been um, female-founded companies that are reinventing products that were historically created by men like mm-hmm sanitary products like tampons, like condoms, like all of these products that were once made by men for women. Now women are making them for each other. <laughs> and that is such a great thing as well. And I think what's next on the horizon is really uh, shifting our expectation that we will start to feel like we should have more with our health care. We deserve mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. with women specific health care. I mean, we're actually in a women's health care crisis. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough Gynecologists going into practice anymore. We don't have enough gynecologists to go around mm-hmm. in the United States, right? So it's harder and h- harder and harder for women to get access to even conventional care. Mm. And then, you know, I think there's really an opportunity for some different kinds of solutions to come into play to help women navigate the the uh, in between gynecological visits. And certainly, that's that's really what we focus on at Flow Living.
0: Yeah. What gets you excited in the morning?
1: I mean, if I have to be honest, it's my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I love being a mom. And that really, you know, I just like I love it when she has days off from school or vacation week. I'm like, what can we do together? You know, (laughs) we we do all sorts of activities. You know, the other day she was home. We like made a chopped salad and she was all excited about eating it. And I just I don't know. I really love that. Or when it was Valentine's Day, I just went bananas and made like all this fun, like heart chandeliers and (laughs) gluten free buckwheat cacao cookie, heart cutout cookies. And like, just, I just really enjoy some of the creative outlet that that provides for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's exciting. But what other things get me excited as well are certainly, um, you know, since my own personal run-in with a health issue, I mean, I I remember thinking to myself, why, why is there no one here to help me? Mm -hmm. You know, why do I have to go through this by myself? I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm confused. Where do I start? You know, Mm -hmm. it was expensive. It was confusing. It was... A lot of failure. And I remember promising myself that if I could figure this out, I wanted to help, I wanted to dedicate my career to helping other women not have to go through this alone. So Mm -hmm. it is still really moving and inspiring to me to be in a position where we get to help so many women around the world. I mean, I always marvel at the fact that there are a lot of babies that have been born <laughs> as a result of women figuring out how to balance their hormones and accessing the work that we do and um, and it, solving the challenge of how do we really solve for this healthcare gap, mm-hmm. you know, with Flow Living is, is something that's extremely exciting and um, we've just, can, it's just been a really uh, dynamic Period of growth for the company, so that's always very exciting and keeps me on my toes and hopping out of bed in the morning. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? The same thing. <laughs> uh, my daughter. No, no, that's not, <laughs> not it. Um, you know, trying to solve that problem. How how do we reach more women? You know, now mm-hmm. that the statistics are out, that half of the female population is struggling. Mm-hmm. How can we serve them better? How can we provide them with the support that they so desperately need? And I know exactly what it feels like to not mm-hmm. have it. You know, how do we solve that problem? So yeah, it's um, my waking and sleeping thought. I'm a one I'm a one-track <laughs> period woman.
0: <laughs> what advice would you give to your 20-something self? Oh god. Um
1: oh, she is so sweet, <laughs> um, I would probably tell her to just uh, s- just not to worry so much about the journey. Um, you know, I was really always overthinking about, well, what does this mean and where am I going and how am I going to get there? And um, And I think, you know, I always used to hear people say that and think, well, maybe they just had it more figured out than I did. <laughs> but really, truly, when you look back, retrospectively, it's like, yeah, every piece of that experience in aggregate really leads you to the next step in your evolution. So Mm -hmm. I would just say that I feel this way now. I'm very grateful to my body that at 20, you know, I had to really change my whole life Mm -hmm. um, to take care of myself in a way that I probably would never have come to had my hormones and my period not broken down. So I I would have been a lot more grateful Mm -hmm. as opposed to feeling like I was the only one and it really you know, it was unfair, Right, I would have felt like, okay, this is just an opportunity to up-level my entire life, and I have mm-hmm. no idea what exciting things will come from it. And really, you know, my entire career evolved out of that um, that situation with my health, and I'm certainly grateful for that. I love the work that mm-hmm. I do.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. That's always my pleasure to talk at Mind Body Green. Mm-hmm. <laughs>